Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verses 17 through 20. A truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalmody is from Psalm 71. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Our epistle reading is found in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When he when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. 
What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Those words are a great prayer for the beginning of a sermon, but not only that, they're the words of Psalm 1914, the words of King David, as he was asking the Lord to, to season his speech, to allow his speech to be edifying and glorifying to God, edifying for the people who are around. And we think about those words and, and we think about our own speech and the ways that our own speech can be good, can be bad. Today, in James chapter 3, James is going to have some pretty stern warnings for us. And, and as I've said before, James is kind of the Jeremiah of the New Testament. He speaks very clearly, and some of those words kind of cut to the core for each one of us, because they call out our own sin. Now, when I was thinking about preaching on bridling the tongue, i got to be honest, I was a little bit nervous about it, because I don't do this well. This has been a struggle for me my, my entire life. In fact, I started to think to myself, well, I guess I can preach this because those who can't do teach, right? You know that expression. But I began to think about that in my own life and all the illustrations that came to my, to my mind I'm not proud of. Not proud of the ways that my, my speech and sometimes having a quick wit has gotten me into trouble. And I also know that I'm not alone in that. I know that there are others of you who are, who are kind of like me. Well, I started to think to myself, the first Thing you learn about preaching is that you're supposed to preach the message to yourself first. And since there's much for me to preach on to myself about this, I guess I do have something to say. In fact, the Word of God has something to say as He speaks to us in His Word, as He speaks to us through, through James chapter 3. You know, one illustration that I will share for you, one story that I will share, is about something that happened at the church where I served in Michigan, the University of Lutheran Chapel. There were a bunch of us, and we all kind of had the same sense of humor. And we all loved kind of to say ridiculous things. That was kind of our humor. Absurd things, beyond sarcasm, because sarcasm always has that kind of note of truth. But we would kind of say those ridiculous things to each other. It was almost a challenge to see who could say more ridiculous things. And we, we did this a lot, and, and sometimes it even came up on Sunday morning. Sometimes it even showed itself then. And you know, we began to realize that while we thought it was funny, it might be creating an uncomfortable atmosphere for people around us. And so as staff and leaders, we kind of sat around and said, you know, we want to be better than this. We want to demonstrate something different by our speech. 
And so we decided to kind of pact together that we would stop doing this for a while. We'd stop kind of our normal sense of humor. In fact, what we did was we gave it up for Lent one year. And, and it, was, it was really something that was difficult to do because it had been such a part of us. It had been such a part of our habit. It's really hard to keep your tongue in check. It's hard because the words we speak and the ways we speak them, we, we've been doing this stuff for a long time, some of us. And as a result, keeping your tongue in check is incredibly difficult to do. Well, James tells us that we're, we're absolutely supposed to do it, even if it's difficult. In fact, this is what he says in verse 2. Anyone who st- or we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, I'll admit to you, when I first read these words in preparation for this sermon, I, I was uneasy with those words. I, I didn't like those at all. I was uncomfortable with them because they're, they're so absolute, right? Anyone who, is n- anyone who is never at fault in what they say. I said, who's never at fault? Who's never at fault in what they say? I don't know that person. But just because I was turned off by the absolute language doesn't mean it isn't true. In fact, it is true. It, it's absolutely true. It's true that we are to keep our tongue in check. It's true that we are never to be at fault in what we say if we wish to be perfect. And that is God's measure. Never at fault in what we say. And I'll tell you what, it even gets harder when you realize that there are lots of speech acts in which we engage, not not just speaking, but speech acts, our posture, the way that we confront somebody with our own physical presence, that's that's something we do and speak. How about, our, how about our online presence, social media? I'll be honest with you, it was because of Christians in social media that I got off social media about two plus years ago. And I know that's not for everybody, and sometimes I lament that decision because there are a lot of good things that happen on social media, but I saw Christians behaving so badly toward each other that I wanted nothing to do with it. And in fact, I saw Christians behaving so badly toward each other online that I began to wonder what others thought of them, the non-Christians. And in fact, it was causing me to judge my brothers and sisters in the ways that they behaved. Social media is like that. And it's not just social media. It's any time one gets behind a computer screen where there's a level of anonymity. And that anonymity causes someone to believe that they can say absolutely anything to anyone. In fact, I believe that anonymity causes us to lose our humanity. And so we say things that shouldn't be said. We do things that shouldn't be done. Anonymity emboldens people. And James says that anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. I don't know a lot of people like that. In fact, I don't know anyone like that. And that's just the point, isn't it? That's just the point. The point is to remind us of our sinfulness. The point is that no one keeps the law perfectly, not even this one part. No one does this perfectly, and yet that doesn't absolve us. Just because I've never met that person, just because I myself am not that, doesn't mean that I can somehow self-justify. I can say my sins don't matter. The fact that everyone does it doesn't absolve any of us. The only thing that absolves us is Jesus. 
That's the work of Jesus Christ. The one who, seeing us in our sin, came to do something about it. The one who came as the Word made flesh to dwell among his people because we aren't perfect, because we are mired in sin. And so what does he ask of us but to confess with our lips our own sins and to confess the ways that we have fallen short in our speech, to confess the ways that we have fallen short in all of our speech acts and the ways that we haven't been loving toward others. And we confess those sins before Jesus. We allow him to do what he uniquely does, that he has come as the word made flesh to be our savior and to give us love and forgiveness. That's what absolves us from this sin. Now, now we go forward in the text and now James has some wonderful imagery. The first image that he uses is that of a bit in the mouth of a horse. And he says, we use that bit in the mouth of a horse to make the horse obey us so we can turn the whole large animal. It's kind of a neat picture, isn't it? Something so small can make the animal do what its owner, what its rider wants him to do. The next picture is that of a rudder and a boat. And he says this large ship, this large boat can mean strong winds, and yet this small rudder allows the pilot to take it wherever she wants it to go. How amazing is that picture? And as I heard those images, I look at those images, I thought to myself, yes, and the tongue can do that. It can be that small piece that turns us against the storms. It, it can be that bit in our mouths that allows us to go the way that God would have us go. But that's not how James uses it, is it? Then James takes these otherwise genteel pictures and he says, no, so it is with the tongue, this small bit of the body that makes great boasts. And you go, uh-oh. He's going negative with this again. Here comes the New Testament Jeremiah speaking these words to us. Uh-oh, these words now are going to speak of what the tongue is capable of. And he uses another image. This is the image of a fire. A forest fire that begins with just a small spark. And I have to admit that I find it somewhat ironic that there's that, that old camp song. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And that that song speaks, this, this is how it is with God's love. But James uses the exact opposite for a picture, doesn't he? He says this, this spark creates fires all around us. This spark, it says, in fact, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. The whole course of one's life. Now, now consider that for a second. Think about what that image means and what it looks like in your life. The ways that when you speak, you begin to set little fires in life around you and you speak something nasty to somebody and it sets that relationship on fire. The times when you self-justify and you begin to push yourself farther away from God as you decide that your sins don't matter because you won't confess them with your mouth. Those times when you boast, making great boasts about, about something you are, something you've done, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. These create fires all around us. They could set the course of one's life on fire when we submit to it, when we go that way, the way of the world, showing no distinction between us and others and saying it's not that big of a deal. When we continue down that path, well, James has an even stronger admonition, a stronger warning for us. He says it is itself set on fire by the flames of hell. That's certainly not something that we as believers want to hear. It's certainly not something that we as believers want to be true of us. These words are true, and they're a stern warning for us. 
that we are not to submit to the ways of the world, not to let our tongue say whatever comes to our minds, not to submit to the sinfulness within us. In fact, to do something different. You see, Jesus had a very similar admonition in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus said this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So let me ask you that question then. What's your heart full of? You know, the Bible talks a lot about the renewing of, of, our, of our minds, the renewing of our hearts. It uses this imagery of, of our physical person. And when we think about what our hearts are full of, we think about what Christ does for us in faith and transforming our hearts and our minds. In fact, I'll direct your attention to another Bible passage that says, you have been given the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ searches all things, even the deep things. You've been given the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. And as that, as that mind and heart are at work in you, your speech shows what is most important to you. Your speech demonstrates what your heart and your mind are full of. So what are your heart and your mind full of? James says this, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Out of the same mouth, out of, out of one side of our mouths, we, we praise God and we say, this is, this is amazing what God has done for me. I'm a forgiven believer. Out of one side of our mouth, we praise God for all that he is, for being almighty God, for being our heavenly father. And then out of the other side of our mouth, we curse our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God, our brothers and sisters for whom Jesus Christ died. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And James says, this can't be so. And you and I know that to be true. Because when we speak curse words out of our mouths of praise, we are giving false testimony to our God. When we speak curse words out of the mouths which should be praising God, we are actually telling other people, this is who God is. And you see how dangerous that is. So what comes out of your heart? What comes out of your mind? What words are you speaking? When we start thinking about what it means to be transformed by Jesus, it means that we admit that we need to be confessing our sins before him to allow him to transform us by his forgiveness. And as we do that, then we are transformed into Christ's likeness, right? Where we begin to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And so as we follow the example of Jesus, think again about the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus said, I no longer call you strangers. I no longer call you enemies. I call you friends. You are my brothers and sisters. We are one in the Heavenly Father. In fact, he prays, Lord, make them one even as you and I are one. Think of the words that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. These are the words which Jesus speaks. These are, are to be words that we speak, that this is, is what's to season all of the ways that we talk and the ways that we deal with others in all of our speech acts. Now, I also, will, will, I also will say to you that Jesus doesn't only speak these words. He also speaks words which are difficult to hear, doesn't he? He speaks words of admonition for people who need them. He speaks words of challenge to people who need those. And so also with our speech, 
It's supposed to demonstrate the full counsel of God, not shying away from any parts of his truth. And so how should our speech be? And as I thought about that, I thought, we need to have some way to remember this. And I came up with an acrostic. It's the word let. And it's, it's related to that Bible passage about having the mind of Christ Jesus. I thought to myself, why don't we just say this? Let our speech be a demonstration of our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I used the word let. And the L in let stands for loving. To allow our speech to be loving. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. For the entire law is summed up in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. Loving our neighbor with our speech. Allowing these to be words that we speak to them. Allowing our speech to be something which is different than the message of the world. Paul continues, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. You see, loving your neighbor as yourself is a high standard. It means fulfilling the words of the Eighth Commandment, right? The Eighth Commandment is the commandment that says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in the explanation to that, in the Catechism, it says that we defend our neighbor's reputation. Think of the reputation that we've been given by Jesus Christ. Do you want that defended for you? Of course the answer is yes. And so defend it in others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let your speech be let loving. The, the E stands for edifying. Edifying is, is just another way of saying, say things that are encouraging and building of those around you. Ephesians chapter 4, 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to, the, to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. Edifying building up, encouraging those people who are around you, seeing their needs and the ways that you can encourage them in all that they do and the gifts that God's given them. Let your speech be loving and edifying. And finally, truthful. Let it be truthful. We're not just about effusive praise and puffing people up. Let it be truthful as we speak the whole counsel of God and as we allow that to be done in a specific way, you'll, you'll see then that this let becomes a circle. Because this is what Ephesians 4.15 says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We, we speak the truth and we do so in love in a way that is edifying for others and therefore for the body of Christ. Let your speech demonstrate that you have the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. And so I want to offer you a challenge this week. And my challenge is for you to only post let things online, things that are loving, edifying, and truthful. To let your presence in the social media world be experienced in a different way. To, to do those things that are building of each other and loving for one another and truthful. And not only your online presence, I know that that's just a part of you, but also the ways that you interact with people around you. Those people especially that you're closest to. To let this type of speech be yours. And for those who are closest to let this be a demonstration that your heart and mind are in Christ Jesus. And so years ago when we made the decision to change our speech at the chapel, you know what happened? It created a, an amazing transformational environment where people, people, we in particular, began to be encouraged by one another because we were speaking words that we otherwise weren't. 
the ways that we truly felt about one another. We were encouraging one another in the gifts that God had given. We were speaking words that were loving and truthful. And as we continue to grow in that way, I think of what an impact we can have at Cornerstone. If we allow our speech to follow this pattern, even just for a week, think of all the people that we can influence with the love of God in Jesus Christ. I think it's a challenge worth taking. See what happens for you when you let your speech demonstrate that you have the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever in the church. Amen.